Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. Even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to tunein.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. In 49 other states, football is just a game, but this is Wisconsin. The Green Bay Packers have won the Super Bowl. The Lombardi Trophy is coming home. Wisconsin fans demand the best. The best analysis, the best interviews, the best coverage, and no one delivers like the Bill Michaels Huddle. Good evening and welcome. The Bill Michaels Huddle on the air. We are brought to you by our friends at Bud Light Seltzer. Unquestionably good. Brewed with a unique five-step filtration process that ensures a cleaner finish. No lingering aftertaste. Only 100 calories. Cranberry, grapefruit, pineapple, strawberry, all the flavors. Go to BudLight.com for all the information. Uh, Green Bay Packers getting ready to take on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And Tom Terrific down in Tampa Bay this coming weekend, a Sunday afternoon game. And uh, today on the uh, on the huddle, our good friends Annie Herman and uh, also Ross Uglum of PackerReport.com. Andy, how you doing? Hey, Bill. Thanks. As, uh, I should say thanks for having me. Thanks, uh, as always, for getting to talk to you on the radio. But thanks for having me tonight. I'm super excited to talk Packers with you guys. This is a, a two-hour marathon that flies by. Ross, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing great. Excited to be here. Appreciate the opportunity. Absolutely. We appreciate you guys taking some time with us. So I'll start with uh, the comments that came out over the last couple of days regarding uh, the the uh, you know rankings, the power reports, if you will. And, uh, Andy, I'll start with you. Uh, many people now, the national pundits, saying that the Green Bay Packers are by far the best team in the NFL. Do you agree with that? I do agree with that. And maybe by far is a little bit uh, hyperbolic, but I do think they're the best team in the NFL so far. I think their offenses looked really good. I think they've done it without key players, both on offense and defense, as you know, with both Kenny Clark and Devontae Adams, amongst others, missing time. It doesn't matter necessarily who they've been playing against. It doesn't matter if they've got down early in games. I know maybe in hindsight, the four teams that they played don't exactly look like the toughest in the league in hindsight, but you have to know that Minnesota week one in Minnesota is a tough game, no matter what the same thing, anytime you're going to new Orleans. So uh, I think green Bay has put it together, you know, in, in most facets of the game, I think the defense still has opportunity for growth. And I think that's why people are so high on the Packers is because they've looked so good already and there's still room for growth, especially on the defensive side of the ball. Ross, let me ask you the same question and get your opening thoughts. Yeah, I, I, I kind of seem to be with Andy, although I do certainly have um, concerns defensively. I think anybody that watched the NFC Championship game a year ago 
has to have some of those concerns and then look at like what's gone on this season and probably not feel like those concerns have all been alleviated and you feel great about uh, that not being able to happen again. Like I think you can still sort of see in a late playoff scenario a really poor performance from the defense costing the Packers. Um, I'm not saying that will happen, but I mean you can certainly get that get to that place mentally. I uh, I'll go back to you, Ross. I look at these two teams, and I was going through Pro Football Focus today in the rankings. And when you look at the overall team, the Packers seemingly have a better team. There are a couple of categories in which Tampa Bay leads. Certainly, their offense is good. They're very very good against the run. You can throw against them. Their pass rush doesn't rank nearly as high. But is that the Achilles heel of of which the Green Bay Packers have just simply excelled? Is the fact that the pass game, not only with Aaron Rodgers being accurate, but getting rid of the ball, it's basically negated any pass rush, which is, uh, you know, one of the results is only a couple of sacks on the season. Certainly. Uh, I think, you know, it starts with the tackles. Rick Wagner and Billy Turner have been phenomenal at, at right tackle. And then David Bakhtari might be having his best season as a Packer, which is really say something, saying something. Um, I think that Laramie Tunsil contract looms large right now, certainly, uh, as far as number 69 wanting to get paid. And and you know what? The interior hasn't been awful either. Corey Lindsley paying like another guy that wants to get paid has been really, really good, specifically uh, in pass pro. You mentioned pro football focus. They have not charged a quarterback pressure to Corey Lindsley yet this season. Add that to the fact that uh, Rodgers is hitting that back foot on his drop and letting that thing go. Are there improvisational plays? Certainly. Yeah, absolutely. There's off schedule stuff. There's successful off schedule stuff, but the days of Mike McCarthy ISO routes and Rogers dancing in the pocket or, or, you know, hopping and waiting for someone's second or third break off schedule are over. The ball is getting out. Uh, Guys are getting open. The guys are being schemed open. And all of that, as you mentioned, is absolutely leading to a lack of, knockdowns and a lack of sacks Andy the run game obviously has been good that also is something that teams have to account for Aaron Jones has got only gotten better from what he did last year when I think we all saw it watching this team he just has a different gear there's a different level of quickness he's got a good jump cut too when he needs to use it he's been somewhat elusive and when he's in as opposed to say Jamal Williams Jamal Williams is more of a bruiser north south but he can get the job done and he can get outside every now and then but but Aaron Aaron Jones has done something completely different and then expound upon what he did from last season the fact that the Packers are balanced I think doesn't this also play into the fact that Aaron Rodgers isn't getting sacked as much because you now have to really respect the run game yeah, and there's so many different ways to go with this. And I think you have to start once again with the offensive line. Not only are they performing well from a pass blocking standpoint, and but what Ross was mentioning is maybe Corey Lindsley and David Bakhtiari playing the best of their careers. That really goes to a run blocking standpoint as well, because those guys have always been good as pass protectors. Uh, Bakhtiari struggled a little bit against uh, bull rushes a season ago, but now he's you know performing even better against the run. I think Elton Jenkins has taken a step this year. And then, you know, you get Billy Turner at right tackle and the, the concern was always, you know, is he going to be able to hold up against speed rushers? But the benefit is that you get another big mauler in there at right tackle. Uh, Lucas Patrick's played the best of his career. So it starts with the offensive line. And then you really have to give credit to a couple different areas. One, 
Matt LaFleur. And I know a friend of your show, Ben Fennell, posted out a great stat of how the run game has been different, both when using motion and when not using motion. First in the league in yards per carry at 6.3 yards per carry when using motion. Uh, 29th in the league at 3.3 yards per carry without motion. Now, as Matt LaFleur noted this week, some of that is because they're not using motion down by the goal line or in short yardage situations and uh, sometimes late in games because everyone knows they're running anyway. So uh, there's not maybe that, you know, that level of deception there. And then last but not least, you have to give credit to both Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams, both for kind of, you know, remaking their game to some extent, both of them, especially Aaron Jones was a good receiver coming out of college, but he's become a much better route runner. Jamal Williams completely remade, not only his body physically, he's more explosive, he's more dynamic, but he really worked on his route running as well. And it's really a testament to those two, along with Tyler Irvin, that they're able to be lined out out wide and teams have to respect them basically as receivers, whether they're in the slot or out wide, even as we saw in a couple of those cover two shots, uh, the last game against Atlanta. Andy brings up a good point, Ross, and I wanted to go back to something that Matt LaFleur has stated a couple of times. When you talk about being either on fourth and short or near the goal line, they don't use a lot of motion. And one of the things that Matt LaFleur has stated is he needs to call better plays inside the red zone and or inside the goal line area. Uh, Are one of those things going to motion? I mean, you hate to say that motion has to be the the linchpin to actually being able to run the football, but let's be honest, it's it's an offense that's predicated upon a lot of misdirection, a lot of movement, a lot of confusion, rather than just lining up man-to-man. So is that an area that you got to look at at Matt LaFleur and say, okay, when you talk about changing play calling, when you're deep in, in your opponent's territory in red zone, is that something that maybe he's alluding to? Potentially. I, I mean, motion is tough uh, around the goal line. Certainly, you're not uh, the arc motion stuff isn't going to be anything that threatens a ton. The jet motion stuff, occasionally you'll see a jet sweep on the goal line. But those guys either have to absolutely win a race to the front pylon or turn the corner immediately on a little like almost looks like a tight end reverse motion. Also, you know, one of the reasons it is exceptional in green Bay scheme is it identifies coverage. If you motion a guy over and the nickel goes with him, well, that's man. If you motion the guy over and he doesn't, well, that's zone. I mean, it's a very simple, uh, you know, tell, whereas inside the five yard line that that doesn't apply as much. Uh, so th- I think those two things though are, are probably, you know, mutually exclusive. I think, they do have to come up with a little bit better plan uh, inside the red zone, especially inside the five, you know, Aaron Jones led the free world in touchdowns a year ago, just because he's five, nine doesn't mean that he isn't exceptional at slithering kind of into the, into the painted area. And that's what he's been really good at. And by the way, they also have an absolute 240 pound freakazoid that they haven't even used in inside the red zone. Mm-hmm. And uh, I wonder if maybe there aren't some looks for AJ Dillon inside the five as well you know i want to expound upon that when we come back also i want to ask the question is this guy a top five and it's probably not the guy that you're thinking of so stay tuned for that we're talking with andy herman and ross uglum of packerreport.com this is the bill michaels huddle and it's brought to you by our good friends at bud light bud light seltzer unquestionably good for all the information and for the brewing process go to budlight.com we've got more coming up with the bill michaels huddle right after this Everywhere in Wisconsin, the Bill Michaels Sports Talk Network. We know 
they're a great defense. Obviously, the numbers speak to it, and then you, it's backed up by what you see on tape. But I think that's just a total feel thing. Obviously, I think we are at our best when we're able to do both, like most offenses are, but it's going to be totally predicated on what is being presented to us from a defensive standpoint. Those are the words of Matt LaFleur. Welcome back to the program. The Green Bay Packers so far this season owning the time of possession, 34-20 to 25-40. And when it comes to their opponents uh, being able to get off the field, the Packers, Packers have been pretty solid on third down, not giving up a ton of third down plays so far this season. You'd always like the percentages to be a little bit lower, but nevertheless, the third down right now, 41% by the opponents. You'd like to get down, down to about 35. Meanwhile, the Green Bay Packers exceeding at a, uh, a 45% as far as efficiency goes. So, uh, or 51% efficiency, uh, even better. But uh, nevertheless, the Green Bay Packers right now, their offense seems to be churning. But I want to talk about the defense uh, coming up here momentarily. Andy Herman and Ross Uglin from PackerReport.com joining us on the Bill Michaels Huddle tonight, brought to you by Bud Light Seltzer. Uh, Ross, I'll start with you. And when I talk about top fives, most people go right away to Aaron Jones or Aaron Rodgers, and they want to talk about Devontae Adams. I want to talk about Jair Alexander. Is he a top five corner in this league? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think so for sure. Um, I think, you know, he you, – you mentioned pro football focus, and they're not the gospel by any stretch. But if you if you say, okay, minimum 20% of your team snaps, he's the number one corner in the league right now. And, and I again, like I said, I – they are not the gospel, but everything they drafted him to be, and you look at like the normal progression of a superstar, a lot of it is year three. And um, that's right, obviously, where we are with Jair, a little undersized. But I, I think other than that, everything that you want, he's physical, does a good job of tackling on the bubble screen or in-run support, uh, is not intimidated by big receivers, is certainly agile and quick and twitched up enough to deal with your your shiftier guys. Um you know, he is is absolutely excellent in m- most phases of what you would would get. And, and that's why right now he's the number one corner in the league per pro football focus. And um, there might be a couple guys I would take over him, but there aren't five. Uh, Andy, he's got one pick on the season. It, it, to me, that's the only area we talked about this earlier today in the program, but that's the only area that I think he needs to improve because he's had opportunities – uh, sometimes he's had balls that hit him in the hands, got ones that he's gotten to. He's become really good at coverage. He can turn and go. He can make a mistake and then have his speed catch up and really kind of make up for that that, that mistake. But the only area that he needs to pro- improve on, in my opinion, is actually bringing the ball in and having more picks, correct? Yeah, he's got some Nick Collins hands at times. Nick Collins was also, you know, known for getting always to the football, but maybe not always being able to intercept him. He intercepted a ton, but uh, he dropped a bunch as well. Uh, But uh, I I think a part of that, of course, is that teams aren't throwing at him quite as often. Uh, If you have the choice of choosing to throw either at Jair Alexander or Kevin King or Shannon Sullivan, you're probably not going to lean to throw at Alexander quite that often. So I think that's part of it, but you, you love what he's able to do on the football field across from any receiver. They want to put him across. They can put him in the slot. They can put him out wide. They can play him in man zone. It does not matter. He is very successful. And you love the fact that he has no fear. As Ross mentioned, he's willing to come up and play the run. He's much, I think he's more physical than he was even a season ago. And uh, you know, he has a, you know, short memory too, which you have to have as a corner every once in a while, you're going to give up a play. It doesn't bother him. He's coming back to compete the very next play. So yeah, you could probably couple, you know, pick off a couple more passes but you love everything that he brings to the table. 
Um, Ross, Adrian Amos, give me your thoughts on his play because you just, you know, for a safety, you'd like a, like a thumper. You'd like guys to be able to come up and just explode and, you know, make big plays, be able to rush the quarterback. But you don't hear his name, and I tell people all the time, the fact that you don't hear his name and he's not glaring in highlight reels for the other team, that's usually it, – it's not spectacular, but it's very solid as a safety, correct? Yeah, and honestly, that was always the billing, right? That was what uh, folks both on the plus and minus side of the conversation about Adrian Amos, that's that's where they, they always were is that – he is just exactly where he's supposed to be every single time. And that's why he always got great grades from PFF because he was assignment sure. He was where he was supposed to be. He wasn't giving up big plays. And then I think Packers fans maybe got a little bit skewed because what did he do game one, week one, year one, was have the game-winning interception of Mitchell Trubisky. But what he has always su- supposed to have been is he's he's not a smasher and he's not an eight-interception safety either what he is is an extremely sure tackler and an assignment sure player that they hoped kind of to pair with uh, a dynamic gambler if you will in darnell savage who very very well may become that player at some point but i think they kind of wanted him to be the running mate for savage that frankly the packers searched for with with nick collins forever until they finally found morgan burnett and then by the time Morgan Burnett was really ready to be that rock solid guy next to the gambler in Collins. Unfortunately, Collins' career was over. I think we're both expecting, or we're all expecting, I should say, to get uh, Kenny Clark back and Devontae Adams back. But uh, you see a guy like Garvin practicing. You see a guy like Equinemia St. Brown. Uh, Andy, I'll ask you do you think either one of those guys are ready to come off the IR yet? Yeah, it's tough to say. Uh, they're both practicing in pads. Uh, you know, Equinemius St. Brown, you would love to get him back on the field. If, you know, certainly Alan Lazard is out right now and being able to get him in, I think he's going to immediately move above both Darius Shepard and Malik Taylor. So the the thing that I noted on Twitter and in, in uh, you know, in my video this morning for the Pack a Day podcast is we've never seen Equinemius St. Brown with Matt LaFleur yet. And he's basically made almost everyone else on offense better in some capacity. And I think he fits perfectly within this scheme. So uh, whether it's him or Kamal Martin on the defensive side of the ball with, you know, uh, Kirksey being out, I'm really intrigued as to how they're going to, you know, separate those snaps between Summers and Martin and Barnes. Make no mistake about it. uh, Kamal Martin was going to be the starter. And in my opinion, the most impactful rookie coming out of training camp, he was set to play a major role. Chris Barnes kind of overtook him as, you know, he had to go out for those few games. And I'm really intrigued to see how they're going to kind of rotate that group once uh, Martin's ready to play. Ross, uh, let me ask you this. What do you think Equinemius St. Brown can become, and will he have an impact on this team this season, in your opinion? I, I kind of want to hedge my bet as far as, you know, the impact of this season. Uh, didn't, you know, play last year, basically. And then um, you're, you're coming into year three and you have another hiccup. I, I don't know. He was pretty darn good as a rookie. You would hope that he has physically and certainly mentally kind of made a progression even though he hasn't been on the field but as far as what he can become i mean i I, this guy is a stone cold freak athlete like there there are not very many folks his size that move the way he does period you talk about like kentley platty's relative athletic score i believe equinemius is a 9.9 plus guy meaning that um he is more as athletic or more athletic from a height weight size speed perspective than you know, 98 or 99% of the guys that have ever entered the combine. 
that doesn't always mean he's going to be a great player, but he has every tool that you would ever want uh, a guy to have. He changes direction. He's got long speed. I think he has pretty decent hands. Um, I think you saw that certainly in that Monday night or his rookie year against the 49ers. He had a huge back shoulder catch on the sideline, and I think he could become a phenomenal big slot, kind of like an Evan Ingram-style player. I don't know how much that specific spot with as much uh, jet motion as LaFleur likes to do with the slot guy, or uh, I don't know how much that a big slot really fits into this offense. I know people were really talking about uh, Chase Claypool in that role as somebody the Packers might target at wide receiver. Um, So that's kind of the interesting thing to me, but I think despite his draft pedigree, I think he could be a very, very good big slot in this league with a little bit of flexibility to work on the outside as well. I looked at him, Andy, as kind of a poor man's Donald Driver. Big long arms, big hands, could take a hit over the middle, could move the sticks. I didn't think he was going to be a speeder, you know, a sprinter downfield going up to get the ball at the apex, but he certainly, with those big hands and that big wingspan, could become your possession guy. Do you kind of, is that the imagery that could be conjured up? Yeah, I think that possession receiver is exactly what you want him to become. And I also think, you know, we've seen uh, Matt LaFleur use some of that, you know, play action, boot action uh, to get some of his tight ends open. We've also seen it with Alan Lazard. We've even seen some of the jet sweeps and motions with an Alan Lazard. So you're talking about now a player who has much better speed, has better quickness, is more athletic. His strides are longer. I think you're going to be able to see Matt LaFleur scheme him up in the open field and get him running after the catch. Exactly kind of what you're talking about. Uh, This is just a player, another tool at Matt LaFleur's disposal. And I think he's done a tremendous job of getting the most out of every player at what they do best. Get him in the slot, get him moving in space, and he's going to be able to help you. Let's do this. We're going to step away, take a quick break. We'll come back. We'll talk more about this matchup between the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the Green Bay Packers and just how terrific Tom still is. we got Andy Herman and Ross Uglum of PackerReport.com alongside. We are brought to you by Bud Light Seltzer. Unquestionably good, naturally carbonated, gluten-free, and includes no artificial flavors. Go to BudLight.com. More of the Bill Michaels Huddle coming up right after this. Wisconsin-wide, the Bill Michaels Sports Talk Network. I think fans should enjoy what they get to watch because there are some some guys who, you know, people have been able to watch for 15 plus, 20 plus years at the position who are some of the best to ever play it. And I think it's good that we just enjoy it for what it is, have respect and admiration for the way that uh, we have played over this time and, and enjoy uh, where we're at in our careers now. There you go. This of Aaron Rodgers talking about the matchup with Tom Brady coming up uh, on Sunday, as the Packers head down to Tampa Bay to take on the Buccaneers, Andy Herman and Ross Uglum of PackerReport.com both joining me uh, tonight on the uh, the Bill Michael Huddle, which is brought to you by our friends at Bud Light Seltzer. Unquestionably good flavors in cranberry, grapefruit, pineapple, and strawberry flavors as well. So uh, those guys joining us here this evening. Uh, Andy, let me ask you, because uh, the you figure Mike Pettin is going to do everything he can to put pressure on on Tom Brady. We know Tom Brady's not the most mobile cat in the world, and you would assume that's what he's 
planning? Is that the way, especially with the fact when you look at the uh, the, the injury report, uh, you got uh, Mike Evans is banged up. You've also got Godwin banged up. Scotty Miller's banged up. Watson's banged up. You got all of those guys, including Gronkowski, all are limited participation in practice with something that's nagging them. It's not like they're, look, everybody's got a, a bump or a bruise at this point in the season. I understand that. But these guys are all in the injury report and have all been banged up and missed a game at one point or another. So you would assume you would just come back after him, right? Yeah, I think so. And I think it's kind of a an interesting um, you know, question that Mike Patton has to ask because I think what you probably want to start by doing is testing to see if you can get home with four, cover with seven, have maybe Zadarius Smith, uh, Rashawn Gary, Preston Smith, try to put a lot of pressure on Donovan Smith, who I think is the weak point of their offensive line. And if you can start getting home with four and cover with seven, I think that's obviously your path to success. However, that being said, if you try that first and it doesn't work, Well, now Tom Brady might be in a rhythm. And if you get him in a rhythm, he is much more dangerous. And you kind of want to always hit him early and often to try to make sure that he never gets in that rhythm. So it's kind of a double-edged sword to, you know, go against the the scheme that you would probably ideally like to play, but also knowing that if it doesn't work, you've just done Tom Brady a huge favor. So I think he's going to come with pressure. I think he's going to try to make Tom Brady as uncomfortable as possible. And I think you're really seeing Green Bay face Tampa at a really great time in, in the respect that the, these guys haven't been together for a, a ton. They've been banged up. Tom Brady's still getting acclimated to this offense. They've only played a handful of games together. And like you said, a lot of those receivers have been banged up. So while they're not maybe on the same page, and maybe still on that rhythm. I think the beginning of the game is the time to maybe, you know, bring out some of those unscouted blitzes and see if you can't get some pressure on them uh, and get to them early and often. Ross, uh, if let's just say the Packers get this win. Is this a signature win for the Green Bay Packers after everybody talks about, well, they faced New Orleans and New Orleans didn't have fans. They beat a bad Minnesota team. They beat a bad Atlanta team. It, would this be one of the signature wins that everybody would finally say, okay, now I'm on board with the Green Bay Packers? Uh, yes and no. I mean, I, I think you you beat this group of of bucks and they're three and three. You know, they're they're just another five hundred team. I think it is a statement victory in the sense of anytime you go into a conference opponent that you at least believe is somewhat functional, somewhat capable, somewhat involved in the playoff race, and and you go get a win in somebody else's building that's impressive. I mean, that's something coach McCarthy preached for years in green Bay was, well, you know, win all your home games split on the road, you're 12 and four, and you're probably a one or a two seed. And that uh, would be another big step with, you know, green Bay already having secured a couple of road victories. Um, I think everybody sort of felt coming into the season that uh, even after that game, that, that securing a road victory for the second straight season in Minnesota was going to be, a, you know, kind of a statement winner, like a big accomplishment. Now it looks like they just beat an awful team. Um, anytime though, that you can start with multiple road victories in your first five games, you, you got to feel pretty good about that. So uh, with a run game being what it is down in Tampa and they're trying to get Leonard Fournette back, uh, it, I would assume the timing is really good if Kenny Clark can make this, but uh, Andy, is the Achilles heel of this defense still tackling in the run game defending the run game tackling certainly has been through the course of you know the entirety of this season so far I've seen signs of hope through the run game so you go back to that Saints game early on uh, Kamara had what like that 40 50 yard run uh, early you know in the first quarter in that game 
Through the rest of that game and through the Atlanta game, they basically only allowed 3.3 yards per carry at about 42 attempts. Again, through the second and fourth, second through fourth quarters in, in New Orleans in all three quarter or all four quarters in Atlanta, excuse me. So you've seen signs of hope from that defense. And my hope going into that was with Kenny Clark being out, can you really get Dean Lowry and Tyler Lancaster and Montrevious Adams and that entire group up front to play reasonable run defense so that when Kenny Clark comes back, hopefully you can really fire on all cylinders because let's be real here. All you need to do in a way with Dean Lowry and Tyler Lancaster, Montrevious Adams, if any of those guys don't end up with a sack the entire season, it does not matter. If you can just weaponize them enough to make them stout and sturdy against the run, they have done their jobs and you can let Z and Gary and Preston and Kiki and Clark eat on passing down. So I think you saw a little bit of that in the last couple of games where they were kind of learning to eat their vegetables on early downs, make sure that they weren't giving up those big runs. They shut down Todd Gurley and I'm hoping that that can be a stepping stone for this run defense moving forward and I really do think that Chris Barnes and that linebacker group is a big piece of that as well I really love what he's put on tape so far I was going to make that uh, a note here so you bring it up I'll go ahead and talk about it the middle linebacking core what Chris Barnes has done also when you look at younger guys Kingsley Kiki up the gut who showed a little bit uh, some of the younger guys that you haven't had a chance to really get to know and that aren't big names uh, Ross, how impressed have you been? Because Kirksey, obviously, we, we knew at some point or another he'd probably go down with an injury. Jonathan Garvin was really making a name for himself in camp, and he may get a chance here before long. Give me your thoughts on a guy like Chris Barnes. Give me your thoughts on Ty Summers. Give me your thoughts on some of these guys that are they're asking to step up. I think you have to be thrilled with Chris Barnes specifically. Uh, Ty Summers still has the same problem Ty Summers has always had, which is he can't get guys on the ground consistently. Um range sideline to sideline is as good as any linebacker in the league. I mean, he, again, I, I mentioned EQ as far as an athlete, Ty Summers numbers from the combine are first round pick type stuff. I mean, absolute uh, size, height, weight, speed, all of it. He's got everything. Um, he just needs to continue to learn the defense and then more than anything, really tackle. He needs to get guys on the ground. Chris Barnes though, has been awesome. And I think uh, really for a team that, dislikes spending money at that position. And I actually agree with that philosophy, but for a team that dislikes spending money at that position to have what they really feel like is a functional player in summers, potentially a very much above average player in Chris Barnes, and then continue to hold the lottery tickets of Curtis Bolton and Kamal Martin, Kamal Martin being the big time lottery ticket. I mean, the one they really feel like uh, can play. I mean, you could have all four of those guys and and not pay them much more than two or three million bucks for the entire group. And that allows you when you are saving at a position like that to talk about extensions with Aaron Jones and talk about extensions with David Bakhtiari and work on Devonta Adams next deal, stuff like that. Um, I, I think that you have to be just absolutely thrilled with the off ball linebacking group that they have assembled, even though it really appears not only because of his play when he was in there, but, um, now with the injury again, that that maybe Christian Kirksey just wasn't the answer. Um, I, I want to ask about the middle linebacking core in the sense, would Patrick Queen have looked better here than making the draft choice of Jordan Love, Andy? Well, he would have played more than Jordan Love. I think that's safe to say. <laughs> but uh, but uh, as far as you know, what you're getting at the linebacker position, 
if you had a choice, let's, let's just kind of, you know, role play this out for a second, right? So if you had your choice of getting, let's say Jordan Love in the first and Kamal Martin in the fifth or Patrick Queen in the first and let's say like James Morgan in the fifth, something like that. Green Bay got the better end of that deal. I don't think any team in the league right now would take, uh, you know, uh, what they they're getting in Patrick Queen and, and some random fifth round quarterback and trade that, you know, and not accept a trade for what Kamal Martin I think has the ability to be and still have that lottery ticket in Jordan Love. And then you go and double down and get a guy like Chris Barnes as an undrafted free agent. I mean, his story is incredible. They legitimately cut him a week before starting him in week one. He comes in, plays well against Minnesota, and then he's basically been an integral part of this defense ever since. It's not like he's playing 70 snaps a game or anything, but his role continues to increase. I've been more excited right now about Chris Barnes and Kamal Martin than I have been since, I don't know, Nick Barnett and Desmond Bishop together at inside linebacker. I mean, it has been a a long time since there've been two linebackers. And I know a lot of people haven't had the opportunity to see Kamal Martin yet Um, in practice. I'm telling you, he would have been the most impactful rookie on this team. Just watching him in practice every day. He brings a hammer. He showed he could cover. Uh, It doesn't necessarily mean that he's going to go out and play great on Sundays until you get him in the pads playing on Sundays. You never know what you have, but I have no doubt in my mind that the Packers were maybe not most excited about him going into the season of all of their you know potential rookie class so would queen have played more yes i think the long-term play is probably better with the kind of philosophy that they did you know go with with getting the linebackers later in the draft and getting their lottery ticket in jordan love in the first round so ross i am i really thought when they made that deal that that's who they were going to get was patrick queen and i was just absolutely giddy because i just figured this guy was going to be a hell on wheels when it came to the nfl then again, as Andy explains, things have worked out in the Packers' favor. Do we? It's not that you can't question, but should we, as outside looking in and or fans, have a lot more faith in what Brian Gutekunst is doing? In that's including the Jordan Love pick, because of the the way things are working out right now, and the fact that they didn't take a wide receiver, they basically brought in Funches, who opted out, and we can't forget about that. But that some of these guys that we've looked at before and go, ah, man, I don't know if they can get this job done, they're starting to play, I guess, the way they were expected to play. And now Matt LaFleur with this second year of the offense and the motion and the movement and the way things are going, should we not question what Gutekunst is doing anymore? Uh, it's getting difficult, too. I think uh, specifically you talk about the regular season, and they want a playoff game as well, but, I mean, the regular season, we're now 20 games into the LaFleur-Gutekunst you know, grouping and they are 17 and three, <laughs> you know, so it's, it's really hard uh, in, in a coin flip league and in anything can happen any given Sunday type of league where everybody, you know, as they say, everyone's on scholarship in the NFL um, to be winning 85% of your games is kind of insane. And that's what they're doing. So until further notice, yeah, I mean, as much time as I spend, you know, grinding the tape in the spring and getting to know the draft class, and uh, as much as I res- obviously respect my own opinion as it come as it pertains to team building and evals and and all those things and and all of that, until Lafleur and Goody start kind of failing, yeah, I, I think those of us that don't do this for a living maybe need to give them the benefit of the doubt because they're. They're 17 and three. I mean, you throw the playoffs in, they're 18 and four. It's, it's, it's nuts. We talk about the trees all the time. I'll explain what I'm talking about. And should we be questioning a different tree when we come back? Stay tuned. Andy Herman and Ross Uglum of PackerReport.com joining me on the Bill Michaels Huddle Broadcast. 
brought to you by Bud Light Seltzer. Unquestionably good. Stay tuned. we got more of the Bill Michaels Huddle right after this. You're listening to the Bill Michaels Sports Talk Network. Anytime you play good teams, you know you're faced with that type of challenge. You know that this isn't a team that's, you know, 4-12. and 12. This team is one of the best teams in the league. And they were one of the best teams in the league last year. They're proven to be one of the best teams in the league this year. And, you know, if we're going to beat those teams, we got to raise our game to the level of consistency, dependability, execution at the highest level for 60 minutes. And that's what happens when you play great teams. And if you don't, you're never going to win. Those are the words of Tom Brady talking about the matchup coming up this weekend. Welcome back to the Bill Michaels Huddle. Matt LaFleur has led to the Green Bay, uh, led the Packers to a 17 and 3 record as alluded to just a little while ago in the last segment in the first 20 regular season games, tying for number 2 in the NFL in NFL history for the most wins by a head coach in the first 20 regular season games, only behind George Seifert who did it uh, with the San Francisco 49ers after taking over for Bill Walsh. Welcome back to the program. It's Bill Michaels Huddle, Andy Herman, and Ross Uglum of PackerReport.com. Speaking of Matt LaFleur, Andy, we hear all the time about the Sean McVay and this Kyle Shanahan and what they do and the innovation. And I know Matt LaFleur alludes a lot of times because he worked with Shanahan and he respects Shanahan. He alludes to Shanahan. But at some point, don't we have to look at Matt LaFleur and say, the Matt LaFleur tree, the Matt LaFleur offense, don't we have to start referencing that instead of giving all the props to the the wonder boys of, of Sean McVay and, and Kyle Shanahan? I think you do. And I think, you know, he's obviously a part of a couple of those trees. So they're, you know, the, the originators are always going to get some of the respect, but what he's doing right now, and especially with how he's picking apart defenses with certain mismatches and coming up with something new every single game. I think that's really been the thing that stood out most to me. So you go back in week one, he did a ton of jet sweeps and reverses and orbits and motions. And he really used a ton of them where in the last three weeks or in the last three games, I should say, uh, you haven't really seen him hand off all that much. It almost gave opposing defenses something to think about because he used it so much in week one, didn't really come back to it all that much in the past three games, but defensive coordinators still have to scheme for it and be ready for it. Then in week two, uh, Detroit man-to-man defense, he uses a ton of, you know, pick plays and man beaters to get players wide open, you know, and a ton in that game doesn't really go back to it in the next couple games. You know, in week four, he used a ton of little dump offs in the flat to his running backs. It's been something different every single week in week three, we saw uh, a lot of the play action boot fakes that got, you know, tight ends wide open in the flat as well as Lazard a couple of times. So he's had a wrinkle in every single game that was going to be successful against that respective team. He's been able to make it work. He's been able to make adjustments. And I just think that as far as offensive play callers and offensive minds go right now, you can put Matt LaFleur up there with anyone else in the league. And he's, he's just really firing on all cylinders right now. Ross, when you talk about Matt LaFleur and getting that same level of respect, the way I explained it was those two guys in Shock McVay and Kyle Shanahan have both been to a Super Bowl. Uh, if, if Matt LaFleur does it here in this year or next year, I think that's where the level of respect begin to elevate. Would you agree? I would, yeah. And I think, you know, you mentioned those two guys, and that, that has a lot to do with it, right? I mean, when you talk about Matt LaFleur, you do talk about where he came from and where his schemes come from now. Every coach has their their own flavors and their own things that they they do a little bit different. Obviously, they're not running the exact same playbook. You know, Matt doesn't have the same playbook as Sean. He doesn't have the same playbook as, as Kyle. And uh, in general, 
you're looking at kind of their flavor. And yeah, I think right now, Matt LaFleur has been highly successful, but he is still referred to, as you mentioned about trees. I mean, he's still referred to as a member of the, you know, that zone tree that Shanahan, Mike Shanahan, Kyle Shanahan, Sean McVay, um, that group of guys that uh, love to kind of make everything look like something else. The illusion of complexity which has been extremely successful in the NFL. It's kind of the in vogue thing. And until somebody figures it out, you know, that's, uh, I would guess that you're going to see more folks uh, running this system, the same as you saw folks try to replicate the RPO success of the Philadelphia Eagles when they won the Super Bowl. And, you know, I mean, it's a copycat league. And the key to succeeding in that league over a long period of time is to continue to adapt. And uh, right now, you know, LaFleur's, original stuff if you will is is still working we'll see how well he adapts moving forward but man uh right now you you have to feel really really good about where Matt LaFleur's impact is with this team specifically because he he is the offensive coordinator i mean it's his offense and the the only downfall you would see in his as i mentioned 17 and 3 group has been defensively where he's still working with Mike McCarthy's defensive coordinator. I, uh, Andy, and I, we only got about a minute here, but one of the things I feel about Matt LaFleur is the fact that McVay and Shanahan, Shanahan took over with Garoppolo, who's been around, but then again, this was Garoppolo's first real big gig. Those two guys and, and Jared Goff, those guys were unproven. Whereas Aaron Rodgers, he had to come in and massage the ego and massage the ability to work with him, which makes this all that much more... I guess, impressive uh, to me anyway. Is it the same to you? Yes and no. I mean, one, I think any of those coaches have given the choice between the quarterbacks you just named and Aaron Rodgers, they would probably take Aaron Rodgers. But to Matt LaFleur's credit, I think he did a tremendous job massaging that relationship through the first year, not really jamming all of his concepts and ideas down Rodgers' throat in year one. What we kind of ended up with in year one was a Frankenstein version of McCarthy's offense and uh, LaFleur's offense, but I think it was a necessary evil to really get Rodgers, A, to buy into what his concepts were and to really make him comfortable in that first year. You saw those two come together, they gelled, and now Rodgers is a million percent in uh, in his second season, and we're seeing the results out on the field. One hour down, another hour yet to go, and when we come back in the next half hour, we're going to talk a little more Packers and Tampa Bay Buccaneers, but then we get into the rest of the NFL and start talking about matchups, making some picks. Andy Herman, Ross Uglum, PackerReport.com. I'm Bill Michaels. This is the Bill Michaels Huddle, brought to you by our friends at Bud Light Seltzer. Unquestionably good cranberry, grapefruit, pineapple, and strawberry flavors. Go to BudLight.com for the info. Stay tuned. We'll be back talking more Packers and Buccaneers coming up, and take a look around the rest of the NFL right after this. Sports Talk Network. In 49 other states, football is just a game. But this is Wisconsin. The Green Bay Packers have won the Super Bowl. The Lombardi Trophy is coming home. Wisconsin fans demand the best. 
The best analysis, the best interviews, the best coverage, and no one delivers like the Bill Michaels Huddle. Good evening and welcome. Hour number two of the Bill Michaels Huddle. Brought to you by our friends at Bud Light. Seltzer, unquestionably good. Go to BudLight.com. Cranberry, grapefruit, pineapple, strawberry, the flavors. Andy Herman and Ross Uglum of PackerReport.com alongside tonight. And uh, I'll start with you, Ross, this time. Uh, it was interesting because the uh, <laughs> the question about four downs came up, obviously because Tom Brady did not look good at the end of that game against uh, the Chicago Bears. And uh, when you got running back Jamal Williams going, yeah, my quarterback knows what fourth down is. Is that just kind of throwing fuel on the fire for Tom Brady? Oh, I mean, I think Brady, like if you watch the show and, and shout out to our friends at Game On Wisconsin, I believe uh, Jimmy Christensen and Jacob Westendorf for running the Jamal Williams show that night. Um, I, I think you could tell that Jamal was joking, you know, and that he was uh, just kind of messing around. But Brady has that kind of, like Jordan Kobe right. deal where he will take something extremely minor like that and and yeah just put more fuel on the fire. I mean, I think he is one of those guys that will take whatever and just just make it burn and make it motivation. Uh Andy, are the defensive guys and Jair Alexander and uh, Adrian Amos and anybody else sitting there in that room going, "Man, you just made our job a lot harder." Oh, I don't know. I mean, it, they, <laughs> it didn't make their job easier. I'll say that much. But right. I think at the end of the day, this is going to come down to how players are playing on the field. I don't think, you know, Brady in a, in a clutch situation is going to be thinking back and being like, man, remember what Jamal Williams said about me earlier on game on Wisconsin. Like I, I got to go get these guys. Like I think he'll use it as a little bit, maybe more motivation during the week. And, but th- th- these are players that uh, are getting paid and playing at the highest level, the, arguably the greatest quarterback of all time. Uh, I don't think he's going to probably spend too much time thinking about what Jamal Williams said on a, on a great radio show, as great as it is, uh, but on a great show on a, on a Wednesday. So I don't think it's going to cause uh, too much issues for the Packers defense. So is this game a and people were using the term all week and I thought it was ridiculous. It's not a trap game because Tom Brady's very good. <laughs> we know that, uh, you know, you can't be looking past Tom Brady and company and thinking this is some kind of a trap game. I, I don't understand where people are using the terminology, but I, this to me is no trap game. This is a very serious game where you're trying to really chalk up one of the better wins on your of your season, the better opponents of your season to put another notch in your belt. Correct me if I'm wrong, Andy. Yeah, I mean, it would be the the first time anyone thought that a a game with Tom Brady was a trap game. I think that would be safe to say. But I mean, who are they? Who are they trapped? I mean, they had a bye week the week before, and they play the Texans the week after. I don't think anyone on the Packers is overlooking the Buccaneers, saying, you know what, we got to get ready for the Texans. So I don't see this as your your typical trap game. And I think this is good. I, I think there's one other game, if I'm remembering correctly, maybe in the three thirty window. But this is going to be the game that's basically on nationwide. I know it's not a prime time game, but it's going to feel that way. 
Uh, all eyes are going to be on Rodgers and Brady. It's going to be one of the main talking points throughout this week and throughout all the, the pregame shows on Sunday. So uh, I don't think anyone on either of these teams is overlooking this game and, and featuring it as a trap game. Both of them basically are coming off rest. The Packers with their bye, the, the Bucks with an extended bye coming off the, the Bears game. So these are two teams who are going to be rested. It's two playoff teams that are facing each other. It's Rodgers and Brady. I don't think anyone, period, is sleeping on this game, not in the media, not on the teams. This is going to be a very, very good and meaningful football game. Ross, uh, the first time the Packers are going to face a team that actually has fans in the stands, albeit only about 15,000 fans in the stands. But that being said, uh, I get the sense that they're going to love it. They're, they're going to have a different energy. There's going to be uh, you know, a few more eyes, a few more jeers, a few more boos, a few more cheers, whatever it happens to be. It, do you get the sense that even if you're going on the road and there's fans in the stands, they're welcoming this? Uh, you know, maybe. Uh, the only reason I say maybe is because, I tell you what, uh, they love, or I know Rodgers has to love, being able to do the hard count on the road. And that is something that uh, is probably a thing of the past, maybe. It's a good a good question. How much 15,000 fans uh, are different from a noise perspective when you compare it to the uh, legal use of fake crowd noise or manufactured crowd noise, whatever you want to call it, uh, whatever the Vikings did illegally in the late 90s. Um, that that is a, a big part of, of their game plan. I mean, many big plays this season and every season seems to be uh, when Rodgers is able to get that consequences free play and and fire it downfield and and the ability to not just do that Lambeau field, but to do that uh, in U.S. Bank and certainly to do that in New Orleans. I think both of those games had specific examples of Rodgers being able to do that. And if these fifteen thousand uh, fans take away that ability then yeah i think it is going to be a a little bit of a of something that they they wish they you know had the advantage of no fans again but they could feed off a road crowd as well and um you know i know if i know packers fans i would guess that some of them in florida will find one of those a few of those 15,000 uh tickets on the old secondary market as well I want to go back to the offensive minute, Ross. Uh, we had talked a lot about the young guys making an impact, specifically on uh, the defensive side of the football. Go back to the offense, tight end position. Jay Sternberger, you know, obviously he was a highly thought of guy coming into the league. Uh, it has been Robert Tanyan's show. He's got the emergence. We know what Mercedes Lewis can bring to the table. Do you see a progression progressively better in Sternberger, or is he just slowly? Because I know that he got a couple of passes, and Aaron Rodgers gave him the pat on the butt and talked about him making the catch and, you know, kind of bringing it in first before taking off and running with it. But do you get the sense that uh, that that the others will say depth chart is beginning to pass him by? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't buy it. I think, you know, I've, I've made a lot of, of mention on Twitter of the simple fact that tight end's a slow-progressing deal. I mean, you go back and look at the first years for guys like Jimmy Graham, uh, even Gronk's first year or, or Kittle's first year, certainly, uh, Zach Ertz's first year. Like, you you have to go back uh, and, and really realize that year two and, and really year three is the the big-time breakout year for tight ends. And it's because there's so much to learn. Uh, most of these guys aren't pro-ready. They come from spread systems or they come from air raid systems or uh, half of them were flexed or split out or occasionally you'll get, frankly, the blocking only tight ends that have to learn how to run routes when they get to the NFL. You're not seeing a lot of multifaceted uh, tight ends that are that are kind of ready to go. And I think you even see that now with Mike Gesicki down in, in Miami, who was a, 
super athlete with at Penn State that basically did nothing for his first couple of years in the league. I think Jace is, is probably on track to have a very good third or fourth year in the league. And the reason I say fourth year is he he's missed huge chunks of year one and year two. So uh, I, I think that that there is absolutely no reason at all to push the panic button on Jay Sternberger, but then also to understand like we're right there. We're, we're at year three, year four breakout season with Robert Tanyan. His progression makes sense. Now he's not a top 75 pick like Jace, but he's a very, very talented kid. You can understand why he got missed Indiana state. Um, is one of the worst programs in the Missouri Valley uh, FCS conference. It's not just an FCS school. It's a, it's a pretty bad FCS school. And he it is understandable why he slipped through the cracks, but you're seeing what you see in a lot of very good tight ends, which is year three or year four lookout. Last time Robert Tanyan, six catches, had those three touchdowns, set the world on fire. But one of the other guys that got the receptions and targets, uh, Andy, was Jamal Williams out of the backfield. They're using him now more as a receiver. Aaron Jones, we know what he can do, and he's become a much better blocker when it comes to picking up the blitz and protecting Aaron Rodgers. But how much more dynamic do you think they're going to make Jamal Williams in all of this? Eight catches, 95 yards, not to mention ten carry or uh, eight carries for 10 yards. And he comes in as kind of that, that two and the one-two punch with Aaron Jones how versatile is he becoming yeah Jamal Williams is making himself some serious money this season and I'll be the first to say I've never been a huge Jamal Williams guy and the reason I say that is you go back the past few years he really lacks some of the explosive runs he's a phenomenal pass protector that I think he's always done that really well but he's not an explosive guy or he wasn't an explosive guy wasn't getting those big carries he didn't make people miss in the open field he could be used as a check down receiver as a screen receiver but wasn't a guy that you could kind of motion out wide and be able to use in specific matchups against linebackers or safeties and he has completely remade himself this year I remember a play in practice and somebody exploded up the middle of the field and I'm like who who was that and it was Jamal Williams and that is the most explosive play that I had seen out of him ever and you could just tell how much work he has done to get a quicker first step to be more elusive in the open field and then all the time that he spent working on his you know route running and working on his hands he looks like a legitimate player that you can split out wide again we saw him uh, get the the cover two beater on the sidelines on a vertical this past uh, you know two weeks ago against the Falcons just a totally different player and again he's not only making this offense much much better the the difference between Jones and Williams is still there but it is much less than it's been in years past and a ton of credit goes to Jamal Williams for what he's been able to do in the offseason and what he's bringing to the table this year Let's do this. We'll take a quick break. We'll come back and uh, take a short more look at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the Green Bay Packers and then get into the rest of the NFL. Andy Herman and Ross Uglum of PackerReport.com joining me on the Bill Michaels Huddle tonight, presented by Bud Light Seltzer, which is unquestionably good. It is naturally carbonated, gluten-free, includes no artificial flavors. Go to BudLight.com. We'll be back more right after this. 16 stations strong. The Bill Michaels Sports Talk Network. Hey, Bruce, uh, drops are, are an unofficial statistic, uh, but there are a lot of national football stat websites out there that have the Bucks leading the league in drop passes this year. The living legend like Tom Brady throwing your backs, tight ends and receivers, the ball. Are you surprised there hasn't been more accountability among your players in catching more passes? I don't know who the hell makes up these stats. Uh, I don't see us dropping the ball that much. I don't put any stock in it. Our guys can catch and we don't say it about it. 
little anger right there. Who the hell makes up the stats? Well, it's a stat. It's just right there in front of people. Bruce Arian's not happy about it and uh, protecting his guys. But nevertheless, the facts are the facts. They've had uh, the most drop balls in the league. Bruce Arian's not happy, I'm sure, with his wide receivers when he goes to study the film as well. Andy Herman, Ross Uglin, PackerReport.com alongside. I'm Bill Michaels. It's the Bill Michaels Huddle brought to you by our friends at Bud Light Seltzer, unquestionably good. And uh, they have done more to hurt themselves, Andy, than I think just about any other team in football. That and the fact that you take about an average of 100 yards per game in penalties. This has been a team that I, I just after watching the blow up on the sideline from Tom Brady at his guys, he's not used to this. He's not used to imperfection or at least close to imper- or, you know the perfection that uh, Bill Belichick puts forward with fundamentals. This is a very flawed team. You're just kind of crossing your fingers if you're a Packers fan. They don't put it all together at the right time, you know? No, you're 100% right. And I think, you know, a couple things here. First of all, Tom Brady's not used to this. I don't think he saw very many first and 20s. I don't think he saw very many plays like he did against the Bears where Donovan Smith was beat clean and he's all of a sudden sacked on the ground in about less than two seconds. And he looks up wondering what the heck happened and, you know, where his left tackle was on the play. So uh, Green Bay has some opportunities to take advantage of this Tampa Bay offense, both with the false start penalties. Donovan Smith is known for having a ton of penalties and allowing sacks. So uh, Tampa's not running on all cylinders yet. This is a great time to be playing Tampa Bay when they're not, you know, clicking all together. And I think some of those imperfections that Brady's not used to, I do think it puts him a little off tilt, maybe more than he's been, uh, you know, in, in previous seasons with the Patriots. So this is all new for Tom Brady. And I'm with you, Bill. I think this is the, this is the perfect time to be seeing him. This is a team, uh, Ross, that has been penalized, and it's the it's the pre-snap penalty. How in the world do you get this many pre-snap penalties when there aren't fans in the stands? Yeah, that's a that's a great uh, question. Uh, would assume it has to do with the cadence uh, being unfamiliar a little bit, you know, with uh, Brady not being the quarterback there before, but. Just, I think you know, you kind of you have that wild man mentality a little bit with. Uh, with Bruce Arians and and I think not that he's whatever irresponsible or I, I don't know, but I think the the group they have there kind of mirrors their head coach in that you hear heard him fly off the handle there a little bit on on folks and uh in general he's he's a bit of a uh a wild guy, a bit of a fly by the seat of your pants guy. And and when you've got that type of of uh cool customer in charge you might not be the most detailed group on the planet and no one would accuse tampa of being that right now the uh the packers offensive line andy has been extremely good and they've had to be versatile as well you saw john runyon get playing time early on elton jenkins jenkins has moved around uh two things we have not discussed and it, it has been an area of top, topic of conversation is is the upcoming contracts. you got Corey Lindsley coming up, David Bakhtiari coming up, Aaron Jones coming up. I mean, just to name three of the bigger ones. Um, it, you know, I know David Bakhtiari made news when he said, look, if you want to keep us, you'll keep us. So give me your thoughts on keeping that offensive unit intact. Yeah, I think when you look at Aaron Jones, Kevin King, David Bakhtiari, Corey Lindsley – 
I really believe it's going to be a pick two. And I think they're going to be able to get two of those guys back. If you kind of look at what the financial situation is a year from now, looking at the, the cap going down because of all the situations that happened with COVID, no fans in stands, all those sort of things. It's going to be really tough for a lot of teams. Now, maybe that drives down the prices of some of these players and maybe they can get back a few of them. But Brian Gutekunst is going to find himself in a very difficult situation, which is why you didn't see him go out and spend a ton of money this year on players is because he knew that some of his top players are coming up, you know, for unrestricted free agency to answer your question directly. I think at least at some point, you know, he, you have to feel confident that even if they only get one or maybe even none of, you know, of those offensive linemen back, it doesn't, hasn't really mattered too much. Who's been in there for the offensive line. Now I know Lindsley and Bakhtiari have been in there and they've been playing phenomenal, but I'm not so sure that Elton Jenkins couldn't, you know, go outside and play left tackle in a pinch. We weren't sure that Rick Wagner was going to be able to hold up at right tackle. He looked great in his couple games in there. We know that Billy Turner can start at right guard. You can probably get Lane Taylor back cheap. Lucas Patrick can probably go in at center. And uh, John Runyon Jr. looked good when he was in there, even though it was his first game playing a position he hadn't played. He had practiced at left guard all throughout training camp. So even without both of those guys, you have to at least feel better right now than you did at the beginning of the season that, you know what, maybe Green Bay could be okay. And then you add in that they should probably be able to, at minimum, get one of those guys back. And that has to give you that much more faith. So Green Bay's in a good position overall. They're better with both of those guys. I've been so on the Corey Lindsley bandwagon for so long. He plays such fantastic football and hasn't always gotten the credit. I'm glad he's getting it this year. Maybe not so advantageous for the Packers that he's getting it finally in a contract year, but uh, give credit to both those guys. They've both been phenomenal this season and they they Uh, deserve every penny that they get, whatever, whatever team gives it to them. They deserve it next year. Ross, uh, I go back to my upbringing and listening uh, prior to Mike Brown. Uh, It was Paul Brown who used to run the Bengals. And when he did an interview and it stuck with me, he said, uh, alignment are interchangeable bits. You don't overpay for linemen. Is that still holding true today? Or you look at a guy like Bakhtiari who has been so staunch and so good at that left tackle position that you can't help but say those guys aren't, they don't grow on trees. They're not easy to find. You got to pay them. Oh, yeah, I'm not. uh, I think the the game has certainly evolved and pass blocking is so important now that I think you couldn't be farther from the truth. I think you're your positions that are losing value are fullback uh, running back and off the ball linebacker. That's where I think you can certainly see that as far as contracts are concerned. Uh, Tackles are worth their weight in gold, especially ones that can pass block. They are making a bazillion dollars. And I think that makes a ton of sense with the way today's league is going. I think you can maybe be a little bit interchangeable at guard and center, but tackles are absolutely worth their weight in gold. And, there isn't one uh, worth more than uh, than David Bakhtiari, I'll tell you that. Uh, you tell me, Andy, would you pay David Bakhtiari? I mean, I know you just kind of went through the dissertation, but just looking how good he's been and not having a surefire left tackle sitting there going, I can be as good as him, do you let him go? I've gone back and forth on this quite a bit, uh, You know, just kind of thinking through their opportunities. I still think that this is a league that's based upon top-end talent. And I think you can find good to average players, whether it be in the undrafted free agency with a Chris Barnes, whether it be through the draft, whether it be in free agency with picking up guys like Billy Turner, Rick Wagner, but it is incredibly difficult to find top end talent at any position. And I think when you have a top tier left tackle, one of the best offensive linemen in all of football, 
I think you have to do everything in your power to keep that type of player because those are the type of players ultimately that win you Super Bowls. It's not it's not the the, the good players. It's the Zadarius Smiths, the Aaron Rodgers, the Bakhtiaris, the Kenny Clarks, the Jair Alexanders. If Green Bay is to win a Super Bowl, it's because of those top end talent players, not because of you know some of the 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 Adrian Amos, the Billy Turner. As good as some of those guys are, it's the top guys. So yes, I think you try to resign him if at all possible. Let's do this. We'll step away and take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to start taking a look around the rest of the NFL. We'll start making our picks for this coming weekend's game. No Thursday night game, by the way. I wanted to make sure everybody knew that in case you're starting to search for it because that game got moved back to Sunday, the Patriots and the Chiefs did. Uh, or excuse me, not the Patriots and the Chiefs, but uh, you got uh, – God, who was it that got moved back to Sunday? Was that uh, the – the Bills, thank you very much. I wanted to be sure. The Bills game got moved back because they just ended up playing on Tuesday night. So thank you very much. Had a brain lock right there. Uh, it's presented by our friends at Bud Light Seltzer. Unquestionably good. We'll be back right after this. Everywhere in Wisconsin, the Bill Michaels Sports Talk Network. Just a believer in the play. I'm a team guy. You know, I put a team first, and I know you know my moment's gonna come. It's a long season, and I, you know, like I said, I'm a believer in the plan, and I'm a believer in the system. I know it worked well for me last year, and there was a lot of things that I was doing last year well, and uh, this year I still had the opportunity to do those things well. Welcome back. It's the Bill Michaels Huddle, and it's uh, brought to you by our good friends over there at the Bud Light Seltzer. Unquestionably good, brewed with a unique five-step filtration process that ensures. A cleaner finish and no lingering aftertaste, only 100 calories. That is Preston Smith talking about how the defense can get back on track. And uh, although he hasn't put up the same numbers as last year, he has certainly played well. He's dropping back more often. He's not being asked to do the exact same things that he was last year. And uh, before uh, before we get into the rest of the games, real quick, I'll go over to you, Andy, first. Uh, how do you see the defense evolving statistically with Preston Smith doing more we'll say uh, things that are, you know, kind of moving all over the place rather than just simply rushing the passer. Yeah. Well, I think actually in, you know, Preston's defense, you know, he did say today that he dropped a lot, a lot back last year too. And I went back and I looked at it and per pro football focus, I know we've been, you know, they might as well get some free ad time here today, I think, but uh, he's basically dropped uh, into coverage as many times, almost, I think it was one different uh, than, than last year so far. So through four games this year, four games last year, he's dropped the same. He's actually had the exact same amount of pass rush snaps as he did in four games last year. So we're seeing some of the same availability to rush the passer with Preston Smith. We have not seen the same results so far. So uh, I'm really interested to see if he can get going after the bye week. I think if, if we're being totally transparent, I think he's probably been maybe the most disappointing player for the Packers so far. And I do know, you know, he is still dropping into coverage, but again, he was doing some of the same sort of things a season ago. That being said, as you talk about the evolution of this defense, I think we saw a little hint of it in the last couple games as Oren Burks made that move to outside linebacker. Randy Ramsey came back from injury as well. Both of those players much suit more, you know, better suited to drop back into coverage than a Preston Smith is. I think they're trying to get some alternate looks to maybe not put Preston so much back into that coverage responsibility, maybe get Burks going back uh, and, and backpedaling rather than Preston. Same thing with a Randy Ramsey. So I think that's how they evolve moving forward. But if this defense really wants to evolve and start playing better, I think it starts with Preston Smith and him getting more pressure on the quarterback, which should help with Kenny Clark in the middle of the defense and maybe collapsing the pocket a bit more. Ross, uh, is it the fact that Kenny Clark has not been in the middle? Therefore, Kenny's not sucking up a double team and, and allowing the pressure up the middle also with the pressure of the ends to collapse? 
Yeah, I think Kenny is certainly a huge part of me. It's all a domino effect, right? You you identify where your issue is, and when you have Kenny Clark, your issue is smashing your center into your quarterback. I mean, uh, he's got to be priority one. I don't care how good you think Zadarius Smith is, and he is very good, but you have to account for Kenny Clark if you're an offense and you're going to pass because there there's a chance he'll throw your left guard into your quarterback's lap. And that has a domino effect on the rest of the pass rush. It allows Z to be more of a versatile rusher instead of just coming uh, up the middle against guards constantly. And, and look, he's very good at that, but uh, you've seen very few tackle rushes succeed for Zadarius Smith. I think Preston Smith, you know, is a, is a, is a nice arc runner as far as the pass rush is concerned, but that arc flattens quite a bit when the quarterback's allowed to step up into a pocket that doesn't have Kenny Clark there. <laughs> you know, uh, um, mm-hmm. I think there is a huge difference in everyone's ability to play uh, on the pass rush side when Kenny's not available. Let's take a look around the rest of the NFL games that are going to get underway early on and also to make some picks. you got the 4-1 Chicago Bears, who I just still just don't thoroughly believe in, playing a, a decent and an up-and-coming Santa, or I should say a, a, a Carolina Panthers team sitting at 3-2. and two. Andy, I'll start with you. Who you got in this one? Yeah, I think this is going to be a really good football game. I actually like the Panthers in this game. I think, uh, like you said, Bill, I'm not 100% sold on the Bears yet. I think Nick Foles has looked certainly better than what Mitch Trubisky did. So I think that they're a team that you know is going to make some noise come this season. But I like the Panthers in this one. I think the Panthers were a team that people were sleeping on to start the season. Matt Rule has that team really running well. And I think Robbie Anderson really could be a difference maker in this game. He looks much more like an all-around receiver than just the deep threat he was with the Jets. I think the Jets have to be kicking them themselves for letting him walk and I'm going to go in a close game Panthers win by a field goal Ross I, I'm with Andy I, I like that I like that uh, as well for honestly for a lot of the reasons that he said I think the two squads are very very evenly matched uh, I as painful as it is to say I think the Bears are a good defense I think they can overcome down in Carolina I'll pick the Bears in this one you got a one three and one Bengals team on the road taking on the Colts so Ross back over to you I, I would love to – I really like Joe Burrow. I think he's going to be a phenomenal player in this league, and I would love to kind of uh, go with him here. But Indy's defense is legitimately good. They they are legitimately good, and I think they're going to probably win that game by, you know, six or seven points. Andy? Yeah, I'm, I'm right there with Ross, too. I think that Colts defensive line, DeForest Buckner, was a massive get for them. And you're talking about a Bengals offensive line that's probably the worst in football. It's a nightmare situation for Joe Burrow. Joe Mixon's not going to have those running lanes. I think the Colts had a little bit of a letdown against the Browns a week ago. I think they bounce back and get a big win against the Bengals. I'm uh, taking the Colts in this one as well. Just still don't have a lot of faith in the Cincinnati Bengals. You got the Lions, 1-3 and three on the road, taking on the, Jag- uh, the Jaguars, who are sitting at 1-4. and four. I can't believe in either one of these teams, to be perfectly honest with you, but uh, I'm going to go the Jaguars. Back over to you, Andy. I'm going to go Lions in this one. I think they are coming off the bye week. I think Matt Patricia's job very well may be on the line. I think they're a little bit desperate. I don't think Matt Stafford started off the season great. I think he's better than what he showed so far. I think this Lions team is better than what they've showed so far. And I think the Jaguars are probably going to start hitting that stride where they're going to be talking about draft rather than wins in the near future. So I think Detroit wins in a, in a desperation game for them. Ross? Yeah, I, I buy that as well. I mean, you're you're talking about two teams where you're just – if you're betting this game, you're kind of trying to figure out who you think is going to give up on the season first or who 
who do you think has mailed it in and, and who hasn't as, as sad as it is? Uh, you've got Atlanta, the Falcons, 0-5, speaking as sad. Uh, then you got the 1-4 Vikings. In Minnesota, I, God, uh, the, the Falcons have changed course when it comes to their coach, uh, some of the guys in their front office. Uh, I just got to think that the Vikings are – this is a ripe game for them. I think that they're salivating to get the Falcons in and get maybe back on track a little bit. I'm taking the Vikings in this one. Ross, back to you. I think you're probably right. The only thing that gives me pause is just how much of their offense is normally predicated on Dalvin Cook, and it seems like he's not going to be available. Uh, with that said, though, I think the the Falcons, obviously, having having fired their coach, are in full give-up mode. They're probably careening towards the number one overall pick. Um, and, and, and this Vikings team, I think, if they can get to two and four, you can still sell – just a sliver of hope because of how close they got to beating Seattle in Seattle. I think you can sell to that group of guys that, you know, we could get that the playoffs are expanded this year. You could, you, we could get to that seven and then, you know, we, we can play with the best team in the NFC, the Seahawks. So I, I think you're right. I, I see a get right game from the, the C, uh, from, excuse me, from the Vikings and still kind of selling that hope that, that this one isn't over. Andy. I think this is, might be a little bit closer. I think sometimes when you fire a coach, you get a little bit of a, a kick uh, just from having somebody new, a new idea. I think uh, Raheem Morris is somebody that's going to be a motivating factor. It, with Delvin Cook out, if the Falcons had their full line of receivers, I don't think uh, Julio's going to play last I checked. I'd have to double check it. But if they had their full line of receivers against that Vikings secondary, I'd like the Atlanta Falcons more. But I'm going to lean towards the Vikings in a, in a closer game than I think maybe people expect. Then you got the Broncos sitting at one and three, taking on the Patriots at two and two, and a cleared Cam uh, Cam Newton, as far as I know, uh, and the Patriots playing at home. I go with the Patriots at home every damn time. Andy, back over to you. Yeah, you've given uh, Bill Belichick way too much time to prepare for this game. Good luck, Denver. I'm going Patriots. Ross, for sure. Don't don't have any reason to believe in Denver's quarterback situation. Um, don't have any reason to doubt Belichick. Uh, pass, there you go for sure. Then you got the Giants, who are between them and the Jets, zero and ten, absolutely craptastic. Uh, you've got a Washington football team who's one and four. They've benched Dwayne Haskam. They're trying to figure out their quarterbacking situation. Ron Rivera, an inspirational s- story. Alex Smith, an inspirational story. I'm going with Washington on the road in this one. It's not an upset, but it, I, I still think Washington can pull this one off. Ross. Yeah, I agree. It's just another one of those games where you're trying to figure out what are these teams playing for? Like what, what, what purpose are these guys serving? What, who's bought in, who's not, who's tanking for traffics. Uh, right. You, I think that the, the craptastic is a good, uh, good descriptor for this one. <laughs> Andy, <laughs> I don't know how to follow that up, but uh, I'll, I'll go with giants simply because I don't think the NFC East is really allowed to have two teams with two wins. Uh, so I think this division is just abysmal uh, with the Cowboys now with Dak out. I don't know who the heck's going to win this thing, but some playoff team is going to get very, very lucky to be able to play the, the NFC East winner in the first round of the playoffs. Uh, the Ravens at four and one, taking on the Eagles at one, three and one. I know there's people that still believe that the Eagles can turn this thing around. I just don't. I've never been a big believer in Carson Wentz. I know other people have been. I just haven't been. He just doesn't have that it factor. Therefore, I'm going with the guy that does, Lamar Jackson and company, and the Ravens to go in and get a win. Andy, back over to you. 
right there with you. I think this Ravens offense is just too good. The Eagles still so banged up, especially across that offensive line. Their defense is good, but not good enough to hang with Lamar Jackson. And something's just off with, you know, with Carson Wentz. I think it's been one of the more disappointing aspects of the last couple of seasons. He was so good in that MVP year, just hasn't been able to get right back, you know, get back on that same track. Uh, I like the Ravens big in this one. Yeah, I, I can't disagree. Uh, Wentz, I, I don't actually think is is as much the issue. Um, their offensive line is completely decimated. The receiving core is completely decimated. Wentz and Miles Sanders are basically trying to do this on their own, and the the, the they're just snake bit. They, that Eagles group this year is just so incredibly unlucky. And sadly, they were unlucky last year. I mean, people are mad at Howie for not getting weapons. He drafted John Hightower and Jalen Rager. It's not his fault that Hightower's not ready and Rager's hurt and Jeffrey and Jackson aren't available and Zach Ertz isn't playing well. And I mean, just uh, you lose Jason Peters right after you lost Andre Dillard. And this just isn't the Eagles year, man. I I think Ravens big. Uh, Is it the year for the Cleveland Browns who are on the road at four and one, dare I say it against the undefeated four and oh Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, playing at Heinz Field, that's a a noon uh, Central Time game. I, I'm taking the Steelers at home. I find the Browns intriguing. They very quietly over the last couple of years stockpiled talent. You're starting to see some of that talent come to fruition. I don't know if I should believe in them yet because they're still the Browns, and I still have a T-shirt from my childhood that says, if it's Brown, flush it down. But that being said, uh, I'm going to go ahead and go with the Steelers. But the Browns are impressing me. Ross? I think I agree with you there as well. Um, I think you could get like a little bit of a reality check for Cleveland in this one. I, I don't think that they're at the level that Pittsburgh is playing at right now. And as you mentioned, games at highest field. Yeah, Baker's been a little bit banged up, uh, and uh, I think they're going to have, as Ross mentioned, maybe a, a little bit of comeuppance this week. I don't think they're quite as good as that 4-1 record. I'm with you, though, Bill. I think this is a very entertaining and fun team to watch. I think it would be great if the Browns could get to 5-1, and one, but I think Steelers at home is going to be tough for the Browns to overcome. I'm going to Pittsburgh. One more segment to go. We're going to go ahead and step away. We'll come back with the rest of the docket, including the Green Bay Packers on the road in Tampa Bay. Stay tuned. It's the Bill Michaels Huddle brought to you by Bud Light Seltzer. Unquestionably good. Andy Herman, Ross Uglum, PackerReport.com joining me tonight. We got more right after this. Wisconsin-wide, the Bill Michaels Sports Talk Network. You just got to make sure that you, you stress the hydration. That's, that's the biggest key, especially when it's colder here. You just don't feel like drinking water all the time or taking in the fluids. So we've been stressing it and just making sure that our guys are adhering to that because we need everybody for what we know is going to be a, a long four-quarter battle. Nobody overlooking this game. No trap game thoughts regarding the Packers heading into Tampa Bay. I'm Bill Michaels. It's the Bill Michaels Huddle brought to you by Bud Light Seltzer. Unquestionably good. Go to BudLight.com. Join tonight Andy Herman and Ross Uglum, PackerReport.com, as we go through the picks uh, and the rest of the NFL docket. Uh, we start with the Texans, who are 1-4, and four, and the Titans, who are 4-0, and oh, and exploiting a hell of a run game. The Texans finally got a win after they fired their head coach and God among men, at least according to Bill O'Brien, and now they are seemingly back on track, uh, and we'll wait and see, but we'll see. This is a pretty big game for the Texans, another proving game. So, uh, I mean, if I have to, I'm taking the uh, taking the Titans here because I just don't think the Texans are up to the task. I do like Deshaun Watson. Obviously, the Texans' defense has given up some points this year, and they just don't have as many weapons, and getting rid of DeHondre Hopkins was a terrible idea. They don't have as much around Deshaun Watson, so I'm taking the Titans in this one. Andy, I'll go back to you. 
Yeah, this is going to be my upset pick. I'm going to go with the Texans. I think, you know, without Bill O'Brien, I think they're going to maybe get a little bit more on track with their offense. Deshaun Watson still is a heck of a quarterback, not to take anything away from Ryan Tannehill, who's been great. But I think the Titans missed all that practice time. I think they were a little bit amped up, came up great against the Bills, looked fantastic in that game. I think maybe this is a little bit of a letdown if we want to talk a trap game. I think maybe this is it for the Titans, and I think the Texans maybe squeak one out in an upset. Ross? I don't buy it. I think I just that Texans team is so devoid of of talent outside of Watson and Watt, who struggles to stay healthy. I just the man the the way that Bill O'Brien kind of deconstructed that thing before he was let go has got them in a really really tough place. And if anything ever happened to Deshaun Watson, I wonder how they would even look competitive, frankly. Uh, you got the Dolphins uh, at home at two and three, taking on the Jets, who have yet to win a ball game. The jo- the Dolphins shock me. Uh, look, I know San Francisco is a little bit banged up. Garoppolo's not great, and they they do things a certain way. But boy, to go in there and just hammer San Francisco last week really surprised me. I'll give the Dolphins their prop. They get back to five hundred, going to three and three, and the Jets go to zero and six in the season. In my opinion, Ross, totally agree. I think that Miami team, you know, has been bad for a long time, picking high in the draft for a long time. Um, you know, I obviously was able to move uh, Minka Fitzpatrick for another top, top pick. And these guys are young and hungry. And, you know, Fitzpatrick right now is Fitzmagic. I'm sure the glass slipper will break at some point and they'll go to Tua. But until that happens, there's no reason to think that this Miami team can't smack the Jets around. Andy? Yeah, the Dolphins won five more games at 5-11 and 11 than I expected them to last year, and now they start 2-3 and three this year. I think you have to start crediting the coaching. Ryan Fitzpatrick, it's just a, it's more of a, a veteran team at the top than you would expect from a team that rebuilt and has so many young pieces. I like the Dolphins and mostly just because the Jets are awful. Uh, let's go to the Rams on the road, taking on the 49ers. I really like the w- direction the Rams are going. They're back to being very balanced. Uh, San Francisco, I still, with some of the injuries and losing Bosa on that defense, kind of that heart and soul guy, that hurt them. But they're still kind of putting things back together after injury. I don't think this is going to be the game in which they really get it done. I'm going to go with the Rams on the road in this one. Andy? Yeah, I'm right there with you. I'm going Rams as well. I just think the Rams' high-powered offense with Sean McVay against that 49ers beat-up defense is advantage Rams all day long. Ross? Definitely agree. And, and honestly, that puts San Francisco in the the blinking red danger zones. There, there are not a lot of two and four clubs that make the playoffs. And uh, it, to me, I think San Francisco is absolutely careening towards that path. You got the Chiefs and Bills. This was a game that was moved from what was supposed to be tonight. Now it's Monday night game. Uh, to give the Bills a little extra time to breathe after the Tuesday night contest. Both teams sitting at 4-1. and one. Uh, I know the popular pick and the money pick is to go with the Chiefs. I'm taking the Bills in this one. I, the Chiefs have, I don't want to say squeak by, but they haven't looked great in doing so. So I'm going to take the Bills at home after, uh, after sustaining their first loss. I'm going to grab the Bills in this one. Ross, back to you. I'm going to go with Kansas City. I think Buffalo has kind of... Uh, been exposed a little bit, some of their deficiencies. Uh, you know, Tennessee absolutely just drilling them, of course. Uh, and y- you've got an angry, I think, an angry Chiefs unit. I don't think uh, anybody in Kansas City likes losing. I-, I know they darn sure don't like losing to the Raiders. And I just I think it's a get-right game for Mahomes and that group. A little bit of energy. I don't think it'll be available just the way the COVID rules work, but they just traded for Le'Veon Bell. Uh, I think they're 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 going to be fresh and and kind of uh, ready to not lose two games in a row in Kansas City. 
Yeah, Andy? I don't like the Chiefs losing two games in a row. I'm going Kansas City in this one. We got uh, about a minute and a half here, so I'll go real quick. The Cardinals three and two on the road, taking on the Cowboys two and three. Cowboys, I'm not believing in the red rifle, which is Andy Dalton. I'm going to go with the Cardinals on the road. Andy, back to you. Yeah, I'm going with a quarterback that is in red. That's Kyler Murray. I'm going to take him over the red rifle in Dallas. Uh, Cardinals go to four and two. Ross, totally agree. Cardinals go to four and two, and frankly, I think Cowboys season's pretty much over at that point as well. Uh, big time something to prove. I'm not really buying into that, even though they're saying Aaron Rodgers has more to prove. And I watched Stephen A. Smith's rant earlier today, but I'm going to take the Packers to go to five and zero. As much as this game scares me, I think the Packers are coming off of a buy in which they got uh, they got a little bit healthier. They're feeling better about themselves. They they understand that this is a big game. I'm going to go with the Packers, Ross. Yeah, Packers thirty, Bucks twenty three. Yeah, Andy? I like the Packers as well. You know, they go 5-0. and I think this is a, a better matchup than people think. Vita Vea being out is a huge loss for the Bucks. I like the Packers in this one. Guys, it was a pleasure. Thanks for joining me, man. That's the way we do it. Two fast hours that fly by, and I can't say thanks enough, okay? Thanks for having us. Absolutely. Let's do this again. Uh, Absolutely. Great. Andy Ross, we'll talk to you soon. Andy Herman, Ross Uglum, PackerReport.com. That's where you can read their stuff, the Pack-A-Day podcast as well. This has been the Bill Michaels Huddle, brought to you by our friends at Bud Light Seltzer. Unquestionably good, brewed with that unique five-step filtration process that ensures a cleaner finish and no lingering aftertaste. Don't forget, immediately following the Packers and the Buccaneers coming up on Sunday, tune to many of these same stations for the Green and Gold postgame show. Yours truly, Gary Ellerson. We give you our analysis, break it down, and take your reaction. Hopefully the Packers are talking about being 5-0. and And maybe, just maybe, this won't be their only trip to Tampa Bay, hint, hint, this year. There you go. Time for us to go. Thanks to Sam Schmitz for producing the program. Have a go one. Whoop. You're listening to the Bill Michaels Sports Talk Network. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively sports. Back clock at four. Doncic. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. Yes, and even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening.